This is Farms Food Future, a podcast that's good for you, good for the planet and good for farmers. Brought to you by the International Fund for Agricultural Development. I'm Brian Thompson. In this month's bumper programme, Farms Food Future was all over the climate conference in Madrid. We'll be hearing about the negotiations and how they affect farmers in the developing world. But we'll also have more on the community action, those agencies, companies making the change that's needed to deal with climate change and food security right now. In the mix with us will be the executive director of the Green Climate Fund. Coming up... What connects an award-winning Spanish chef, Pepe Munoz, a famous Real Madrid footballer, Jorge Brasales, the International Fund for Agricultural Development, and Kitchen Connections? Find out in a bit. We'll also be talking to Jose Luis Samaniego at the UN's Economic Commission for Latin America and the Caribbean. He'll be telling us about the threat of climate change in Latin America to biodiversity and agriculture. But more importantly, how we need to make the link from biodiversity to livelihoods. Find out how tequila is part of the answer. Also in Farms Food Future, we have news from farmers in South Africa and how they're coping with climate change. And IFAD's Lisa Leclerc talks to us about the just-released Climate Action Report 2019. So, we've been at the world's annual climate summit called COP25 in Madrid. This is when governments come together to find a way out of the climate crisis. Up until recently, farming didn't figure much in the discussions or the action plans that are being pulled together. But that's changing, according to IFAD's climate lead, Margarita Astralaga. She talked about the feeling of optimism following the commitments made at the climate summit in September in New York and how Spain stepped in to organise the event at such short notice when Chile backed out. I asked her if the 25th Conference of the Parties, COP25, of the UN's Framework Convention on Climate Change was as important for agriculture as had been hoped. Well, smallholder farmers are uh, about uh, 550 million families around the world. They, in the majority of the cases, don't have a voice in their own countries and, of course, they don't have a voice in the international community. And we know that uh, activities in the agriculture sector and forestry cause a lot of the greenhouse gases, gas emissions. But we also know that these smallholder farmers are very vulnerable to climate change and in fact, although agriculture has caused a lot of the greenhouse gas emissions, the smallholders are an important part of the solution. So this is why for us, um, making sure that through IFAD and other institutions that work closely with the smallholders, we raise their voice, their concerns, and also uh, remind participants and donors that it's important to fund climate adaptation for these smallholders uh, is the only way that we will ensure better uh, climate results, but also eradication of rural poverty. Can you tell me a little about what IFAD did at the meeting in Madrid? Well, uh, this time we were uh, extremely active because we were able to be uh, keynote speakers and speakers at m- many different panels. 
Uh, we also participated in multiple events and discussions. We were able to meet um, a lot of ministers, NGOs, different stakeholders that are important for our work. But of course, probably one of the most um, important um, events that we had during the COP was the signature of our first funding agreement for a GCF project in Belize that uh, requires a lot of support in the agriculture sector. So ensuring that the work we do in these small countries guarantees climate resilience and adaptation is of paramount importance for the whole world. So we felt very proud to finally have reached this uh, moment of signing this financial agreement. You've attended the UNFCCC negotiations for, for some years. How do you feel about the outcome of this year's COP in particular? I would say that, let's say, the negotiations were not as I had expected, as I was hoping for, the results of the negotiations. But what really inspired me and made me feel proud of being there was participating in parallel events or inside events where uh, different institutions, NGOs, governments, local governments, private sector demonstrated their level of innovation and, and of action on the ground. It's uh, really unbelievable to see what is really going on and how much investment is being at this point made on climate adaptation and mitigation. So. Even if the negotiations didn't go as far, because everybody now is waiting for Glasgow, what is important is uh, the ability to share all these knowledge and good practices with the rest of the world. And I think we can only do that during the COP when we have thousands of people, 20,000 or 25,000 people from so many different countries and backgrounds and uh, researchers, executors, uh, local officials, government officials, donors, foundations. So it's a very good place to really share best practices, but also some of the concerns of things that are not working. So in that sense, uh, I was uh, very pleased to have been able to participate in all these events around the COP. Looking forward, what is going to be the focus of your work, of, of IFAD's work on climate and environment as we move ahead from here? Well, one of the key areas for us, and, and we use the COP also to promote uh, these, is that we need uh, countries, the countries that we work with, all our partner countries, to increase their national uh, determined commitments in 2020. So our message for many of these governments was, if you need our support. We need you to increase your level of commitment on what is needed in agriculture with concrete requests on adaptation and mitigation, with concrete geographical targets within the country. Because it's not enough that countries say, oh, I want to adapt to climate change in my agriculture sector. With that, we cannot really provide much help. Mm. So that's why part of our message was Please make sure that you know what you need and where, so that in our planning and in our programming towards the future, we can really concentrate in assisting countries 
in um, implementing their own international legal commitments. Uh, the other part, of course, for us is that environmental sustainability is extremely important. So it's not just about climate adaptation, but it's ensuring that we manage better our soils, our land. Uh, when we take into account, for example, that 80% um, of um, agriculture by smallholders is rain-fed, we know that we need to concentrate in providing good water sources, but at the same time, we need to protect the ecosystems. We cannot just take all the water that is there for agriculture when we know that we need water for the protected areas in the in the region and for the people that live around those areas. So it's uh, our way of seeing um, environment and climate is really in a holistic manner that every element of the ecosystem depends on each other and has a consequence if we don't manage it properly onto the other elements of the ecosystem. Thanks to IFAD's Margarita Estralaga telling us there about the UN's climate conference in Madrid and what's been achieved for farmers. IFAD is an implementing partner of the Green Climate Fund. In Madrid, Margarita met with the GCF to formally sign a deal that starts implementing projects in the field, putting the money to work to help farmers in Belize for the Resilient Rural Belize project. Yannick Glamaric is the GCF's executive director he told us why COP25 was of such importance and just how much the fund is growing. The GCF is uh, an operating entity of the financial mechanism of the COP. So for us, the COP is an extremely important body because it gives us guidance in terms of uh, uh, programmations. And uh, it's also an opportunity for us to report to uh, the parties on the, the achievement of the year. And uh, this year, in 2019, Two of our priorities were, were to uh, achieve a successful and ambitious replenishment and, uh, and to accelerate implementation. Thanks to the fact that 50% uh, of our 28 contributors have doubled their contributions, we have been able to uh, exceed in October the initial fund mobilization in 2014. 9.8 billion dollars against 9.3 billion dollars. And like in 2014, we will keep mobilizing resources. This time, because 9.8 billion dollars is for four years against five years in 2014, this, uh, this additional resources, this shorter period and the financial reflow should enable us to almost double our programmation in the coming uh, four years. Now, in terms of uh, accelerations, we had initially planned to sign 76 uh, financial uh, transfer agreement in 2019. Our objective today is to exceed 100 by the end of the year. And so we hope that uh, by, uh, the end, by the end of uh, first quarter uh, 2020, we will, uh, we will have at least 80% of our portfolio under implementation. Yannick was also clear that agriculture and IFAD is a key partner for the Green Climate Fund moving forward. We have eight result areas and actually for three of our eight result areas, agriculture plays a key role. Agriculture, climate resilient agriculture, play a key role for food security, water security and health. 
the uh, is play also a key role for uh, sustainable livelihood and is play a key role for uh, ecosystem uh, uh, management and uh, nature based uh, uh, solutions and so uh, we are delighted to partner with fifad because uh, you are a key player in three of our eight uh, result areas I'm Brian Thompson and this is Farms Food Future. Coming up, have you heard the one about the chef, the footballer, the international organization and kitchen connection? Stay tuned. Erlene Cruz is the founder of Kitchen Connection. She's been organizing a big event co-sponsored by IFAD at COP25 in Madrid, bringing together industry experts and celebrity chefs to examine how climate change is affecting food systems. Featured was Spanish MasterChef winner and ex-Real Madrid footballer Jorge Brasalaz, and one of Spain's top chefs and TV presenters, Pepa Muñoz. They highlighted the impact of climate change on food security. Drawing on IFAD's successful Recipes for Change series, the event showcased the effect that climate change has when there's conflict, economic downturns, and how it exacerbates the agricultural food supply. They presented three dishes from Chad, Guatemala and Sri Lanka. Representatives of the International Fund for Agricultural Development, the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization and the World Food Programme also presented actionable solutions that citizens, governments and non-profits can use to combat these climate impacts. Kitchen Connection allows home and professional cooks to host or participate in online interactive cooking classes that support the UN Sustainable Development Goal 2, Zero Hunger. It also focuses on issues related to food inequality and food insecurity through online and offline events, allowing people to not only share recipes but also incorporate stories of some of the threats to their food as a result of conflict and climate change. I met up with Erlene just before they got started with the cooking and asked why being at COP25 and hosting this event with IFAD was so important. So we know that the food system from agriculture to processing, transportation, uh, contributes to up to 30% of greenhouse gases. And at the same time, climate change is having an unprecedented impact on the food system, which means that, you know, there's sort of this bilateral relationship between climate change and food and food and climate change. And it's really important that we discuss it when we're talking about fossil fuels and we're talking about plastic in our oceans. It's, you know, equally as important. And I think it's overshadowed by emissions coming from other industries. So it's really important that we discuss it in a way that's light, in a way that's fun, in a way that attracts people to come and join us, but in a way that is also really substantial and important. So you're here at COP25, those are the reasons. What, what is the event you're going to be organizing here? Tell me about that. Uh, the event is uh, a two-part event. Uh, the first part is a discussion. Uh, we have nine panelists from different fields uh, who are on the ground, as well as you know working on thematic areas related to climate change and food. And they'll be introducing the subject matter as well as what they're actually doing on the ground through the lens of three countries. We'll be focusing on Chad, Guatemala, and Sri Lanka. 
And these are three countries that represent sort of a microcosm of what's happening globally to different countries in the food system as a result of climate change. Um, FAO, IFAD, and the World Food Program together are working in these countries to help alleviate the challenges posed to the food system as a result of climate change. And so we're really interested to see what they're actually doing and how this is representative of the work they're doing globally. And the second part of the event will be led by two chefs. We have Master Chef Jorge Brasales and Pepa Munoz, um, who are both local to Spain, um, but with a really big passion for sustainability that they incorporate into everything that they do, including the two restaurants that they both own. And so they will be cooking two dishes influenced by these three regions using local Spanish ingredients as a way uh, that we as individuals can combat climate change. What do you hope that your event, what do you hope to come out? What would be the ideal outcome from COP25 for you? What would you like to see? Absolutely. Uh, Aside from an evolving conversation around this, we've been doing this with IFAD for a few years now. Uh, We hope that people see that there's a need for integrating different kinds of actions in order to alleviate the food system from climate change. It has to come from individuals, it has to come from consumers, also producers and intergovernmental organizations. And so what we hope is to showcase what you know, all the different players are doing in order to achieve this, but also to leave people with an idea that it is in our hearts and it is in our minds that it starts. And so um, the idea is to encourage people to individual action as well as to you know bring this into the workplace and what people are doing globally to achieve this spain's top tv and sustainability champion pepa muñoz also spoke to us briefly ahead of the event she wanted delegates at cop to understand that agriculture needs to be a big part of the negotiation she also told us the thrust of the message she wants to get across Keep fighting. The land knows, the land talks, the land talks to me. I take a handful of earth and I know if it's humid, dry, if it has stones, if it has minerals, if it smells or not. Land is our greatest value. That was Pepa Munoz talking to us at Farms Food Future. You can find out more about what the International Fund for Agricultural Development is all about by going to our website, www.ifad.org. And you can also find more podcasts at the same address, forward slash podcasts. Check out our interview in episode one with Italian celebrity chef Christina Bauman. And we also have selected content in Spanish and French. Just go to the website. In fact, you can hear the whole interview with Chef Munoz in Spanish, and we have exclusive content from Burkina Faso on our French podcast. Coming up, we talk climate, biodiversity and agriculture, along with a little shot of tequila and a glass of Chilean red. The world needs more food to feed an ever-growing population. That we all know. But we have to look after our ecosystems if we're to keep on growing. Currently, agriculture focuses on four cash crops, leaving a wealth of biodiversity underutilized in food production and our diets. 
Jose Luis Samaniego, the Chief of Sustainable Development and Human Settlement Division at the UN's Economic Commission for Latin America and the Caribbean, was attending the climate conference in Madrid. He talked about nature-based solutions for dealing with climate change. He also focused on the situation in Latin America. I started out by asking him if protecting biodiversity was at odds with successful farming. The main conflict is that we produce for huge markets. Latin America is, is rich in natural resources and has a very strong agricultural sector. So, uh, and the markets require mostly homogeneity, bulk, uh, mass, quantity, and that means displacing what is diverse. So you favor the, the, the whole economic system and the incentives are leading towards uh, homogeneity, difficult word in English, uh, and against biodiversity. So um, if you want to synergize conservation, diverse agriculture, you have to change the incentives and allow them to get to the markets, to reach the markets. And it's not just about the, the uh, non-human things, biodiversity as animal or, or plants, but it's the humans that are related to that biodiversity. There's a, uh, a very strong link between certain types of people in certain types of areas and the biodiversity you are worried about that you need to conserve. So there has to be a link in the markets to those products that conform the livelihoods of these people. So the only way for that link to happen, or one of, one of the ways, because one is love, the other one is, is utility, the third one is livelihoods. So for people to have livelihoods based on diversity, there has to be a certain profitability for producing that biodiversity. What can help that? Certifications of origins, diversification in the market, targeted purchases and so on, and a sense of cultural belonging and elegance, if you want to, of consuming these types of goods. Can I ask you, where do you think we're getting it right right now in Latin America? Are there some examples that you could share where it's, it's yes. we're doing this? I could give you a couple of examples. One is a very well-known example of the tequila. Tequila is a, a denomination of origin within Jalisco. Tequila is a region within Jalisco, which is a state within Mexico, that produces uh, distilled uh, alcohol from a, an agave, which is a cactus. The general word for these distillates is mezcal, and tequila is one variety of these mezcal. But you have this kind of distillates in many other parts of the country. You have Bacanora in Chihuahua, you have Sotol in Sonora, another state, and so on. The great success has to be distinguishing within the general world of alcohols, one that is produced in a certain area of Mexico that is now an ambassador to this type of production. And you could follow on the same steps and give recognition to the various forms of distillation and alcohols produced from various cactuses within the country that could enable people to make a living of cultivating those varieties of cactuses instead of just trying to cover the whole country with the blue agave, which is the origin of tequila, which is the basis of tequila. So you see how uh, market forces can synergize with biodiversity. Another one is, is uh, a good move by Chile, avoiding selling uh, wine by the bulk 
and 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 making it with its own labeling and its own bottling, which has allowed for very tiny vineyards to prosper, not only in the Chilean market but in the international market too, which under different incentives, they would have not been profitable enough to survive. How does climate change come into all of this? What kind of a threat is, is, that's why we're here at the Climate Change COP, has climate change augmented the threats to biodiversity and for farmers? Yes. uh, Global warming tends to simplify diversity. That That is a fact. In agriculture and in ecosystems too. So if you want to, to, and let's not forget that uh, biodiversity conservation taken up to the scale of ecosystem conservation uh, takes us to nature-based solutions for climate change. So if you are able to cultivate specific species within these ecosystems, let's say forests, then you are giving these ecosystems a fighting chance in the economy and that help you fight climate change. So let's say that you were able to bring deer There are many varieties of deer from tropical tropical forests and temperate forests into the market. Then there would be a human interest in making livelihoods by protecting these ecosystems, which in turn would help countries to fight climate change. So there you can see a clear synergy between ecosystems and climate change. And it's also the case for the, in this case, agave, the, the previous example, tequila, because it's an adaptation to drying conditions throughout countries like Mexico. So cultivating these plants is adapted to a more dry uh, climate and it helps uh, retain fertility in the soils. It's a viable culture under the new conditions of, of more temperature and water stress in a country which is very vulnerable. So to, to wrap up, a final question. We're here in Madrid for COP25. What would you hope to see? What, what could be done by the, the, the parties here to improve the situation for biodiversity agriculture in relation to climate change? What action would be the next step? Well, I think that discussion on Article 6 and the whole thing of, of being able to uh, offset emissions through natural solutions, natural nature-based solutions, is a critical factor for the biodiversity conservation. Uh, the other one is uh, strong NDC, strong uh, nationally determined contributions to the Paris Agreement, means a greater level of ambition, which takes emissions reductions to their limit, let's say, and enables for a nature-based solutions, which is carbon sequestration in natural systems to come into the picture and help countries achieve the, the, the nationally determined contributions by a combination of reductions and absorptions in nature. Jose Luis Samaniego from the UN's Economic Commission for Latin America and the Caribbean, speaking to me in Madrid. You're listening to Farms Food Future, brought to you by the International Fund for Agricultural Development, and I'm Brian Thompson. You can hear more podcasts by going to www.ifad.org forward slash podcasts. In episode one, we have farmers from Malawi and Bhutan talking about how they're ringing in the changes for women and men. Also, we have content in French and Spanish. Merci beaucoup and a very large gracias. Coming up, we speak to South African farmer Brenda Tlabeni and find out how she's coping with the climate crisis. South Africa is facing up to drought, extreme weather and competition for scarce agricultural resources. Brenda Tlabeni is a member of the African Farmers Association of South Africa. 
She has a small arable farm close to Johannesburg and a small livestock farm further out in KwaZulu-Natal. There, she rears goats, cattle and some game. She told me how climate change has hit her farm, losing her sunflower crop two seasons ago due to late rains. She also gave a clear message to the great and the good at the climate meeting in Madrid. But first, I asked her how climate change is affecting agriculture in South Africa. We sort of have to find ways where we're doing our business differently. We have to... We are trying hard to survive in terms of uh, not everything is as it used to be like in like a decade ago where we, we knew how to sort of predict the weather patterns and also more or less the, the yields that we get from our enterprises. We find ourselves having late rains, we have harsher or erratic weather patterns and conditions and that leaves us in, with not much of a choice in terms of doing farming as it used to be. We forced now to introduce more technology, to start finding ways uh, to basically survive in general. So, so what are you doing on, on your farm um, to, to try to adapt to these impacts from climate change? Uh, what I have done, because I'm running two separate enterprises, one is more on the livestock side, where I have cattle, I have goats, I have uh, game, and on one part is more, on the, it's more like the crop farm. On the livestock farm, um, my cattle are grazing freely, so that allows them to naturally uh, uh, adapt to the conditions of the area. And I think that's more in harmony with nature. And on my vegetable or crop farm, I use the fertilizer from the cattle uh, to start to balance as well the chemicals which we normally use and I'm using more of the organic matter that I get from my cattle as well and I have continuous like soil management program where I know that I have to apply on demand not just randomly so that also has helped me to cut down costs in terms of uh, how I run the two enterprises. And, and so you say that that's managed to cut down costs for you. What, what other impacts has this had in terms of your, your output? Are you, are you still producing as much as before? I won't say it's as much as before because we have scarcity in terms of water. Everything has shot up in terms of prices. We always have to scrape around in terms of resources where we need to be more sustainable. And just two seasons ago, one would not didn't get any returns from whatever I've put in. Uh, I had the worst heat wave when my sunflower was starting to flower and it ended up not being able to fully develop. So I completely lost out on one season. I mean, that's one of the areas where we, I, I really felt the impact of climate change. And while I was still grappling with that, we had like harsher conditions where we had like also some of them and man-made like we had fell fires and all those things so it uh, it impacted me in terms of we had late, late, uh, late rains where one at the time i mean around september october that's 
traditionally the time when we should get rains, but we got rains late in November, so it was extremely dry and one had to put in more money to feed and keep the animals alive as well. So these are some of the small things or which have big financial impact in terms of making sure that one remains profitable, became, becomes uh, sustainable as well in our enterprise. So you're here at COP25 in Madrid. What, what areas of the negotiations, what, what message would you want to get across to the, to the governments who are here meeting to look at how we deal with climate change in the future? I guess the main one is to have the farming community being part of uh, decision making. I mean, we are just at the forefront of everything where we are experiencing all these natural disasters firsthand. We still have all the population to feed, but we're not getting much support from our government. And secondly, um, we expected to constantly uh, adapt. We're not getting any, in most regions or most farmers are not getting any assistance from our farmer or from our governments in terms of um, being incentivized or making those resources available where we can, it, we, it can lessen the burden on us. And thirdly, um, it would be implementation of policies. I mean, we have, I, I think we've spent too much time over the last decade coming up with uh, ways in, to uh, mitigating the impact of the climate change. But it doesn't seem like there's willingness from governments to move quicker or maybe put in proper measures where we pulling through with uh, the policies that were agreed on. You take the Paris Agreement, you ask yourself how many countries have really stepped up, uh, have stepped up and really tried to be align to or to align rather with uh, those agreements the Paris agreement and also as farmers I think uh, we are constantly or we trying to be kinder to our planet by introducing more friendlier or greener ways of farming so we really need some encouragement per se and support from our governments in terms of making sure that we sustain it for generations to come. Thanks to Brenda Tlabeni for speaking to us here at Farms Food Future. Up next, IFAD's Lisa Leclerc gives us some highlights from the Climate Action Report 2019. This year is a key moment in the international debate on climate. It also represents an important year for mainstreaming climate change in IFAD's operations, with significant changes made in key aspects of its business model to achieve corporate-level commitments on climate change-related factors. The 2019 Climate Action Report documents the progress and achievements made in IFAD's business model, largely triggered by its adaptation for smallholder agriculture programme. Lisa Leclerc is IFAD's lead technical specialist on climate and environment. She spoke to me about the trends seen in 2019 and where we're going in the years to come. She started out by telling me some of the Climate Action Report's highlights. The report, um, I think, is particularly important right now because it highlights the work that IFAD is doing to support smallholders addressing climate change. 
in terms of both adaptation and mitigation, because as you know, agriculture and land use is the second highest source of greenhouse gas emissions after energy. Uh, but more importantly, I think is this year, I think is, it's a year of numbers. Numbers in terms of climate change action and climate change action at IFAD. And the report highlights how we're making progress towards spending 25% of our programs of loans and grants, so the loans that we provide countries primarily, 25% of those resources will be climate-focused. Why is this important? Well, 2019, as we saw recently, the WMO put out a report in the last couple of days that confirms that 2019 is probably one of the top three hottest years uh, in recorded history. As long as we've been taking records of climate change and of temperature, we're set to have the third hottest year in 2019. The, the first and the second hottest years were the previous years before that, so we're definitely seeing a trend. We also know, and the report also highlights, that we're on track right now for a three-degree warming. Uh, we've already warmed by 1.1 degrees. We expect that two degrees is a, is a tipping point in terms of climate change impacts, and we're well on our way to a, to a three-degree world. And, and this is frightening because we're already seeing... And the last three years, again, in top of being amongst the hottest years, is the first time in, 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 in about two decades that we're seeing a reversal in terms of the number, number of people that are hungry. What's concerning and, and for us in the client countries that we work in is that climate change is one of the main drivers. In about 26 of the 33 countries that are affected by growing food insecurity, climate change is a driver along with things like conflict, Conflict itself is related to climate change, things like droughts, floods, cyclones, people being displaced, internally displaced by extreme events. And in 12 of the 33 countries, climate change is listed as the main driver. So what would you say are the main areas where IFAD has moved on in its climate work over the past 12 months? Well, I think our journey started in 2012 with the ASAP program, the adaptation program for smallholders, which is... IFAD's uh, trademark uh, adaptation fund, uh, which has supported 41 countries in adapting to climate change. As we've been implementing that program, I think we identified a number of activities that we know work really well, a number of adaptation activities that we work well, that work well, that we want to replicate. And we also have a better idea of things that don't work as well, that may not, may not be as effective. And in doing so, we understood, I think, as well, that we need a number of tools to help us ensure that we're doing the right things. So 2019 was a natural evolution of the work that we've started since 2012, where we're solidifying a lot of those tools so that we have a better idea of what to do, where to do it, and how to do it, and how much it costs. So how would you surmise how IFAD goes about doing climate change differently? Is, is it about the farmers? Is it about the development? Is it about the sustainability? Is it all these things wrapped up in an IFAD-shaped bundle? I think one of the main things is that we're the only UN specialized agency and IFI that focuses on smallholders and rural development. And this is so important because... 40% um, of the world's population live in rural areas. In developing countries, most of these people are poor. And in some areas, such as sub-Saharan Africa, produce about 90% of the food that people produce. And because we're an IFI, we also have significant investments that we can build on and we can build our climate change portfolio on. Given the scale of the problems with the food systems, 
And I think it's been interesting in the last year, I've noticed that plastics and microplastics has been top on the agenda in people's minds, climate change as well. But the third area that we keep hearing, and that's a reoccurring theme in many global fora in the news, is food security and the food systems and how food systems are broken. In, in some ways, I feel frustrated sometimes because a lot of the issues and the problems that smallholders face in terms of meeting their food security needs and the problems that the, the challenges they face are caused by global issues, climate change being one of them, uh, but also the demand for food and the growing demand for food, meat, dairy products coming from the developed world as well. So there, in many ways, the, the, the deck is stacked against them, and that's why conferences like this, I think, are really important to mobilize the global community to address the problems that are affecting poor rural farmers. And IFAD is well-placed to understand the interaction between those two. What will we be seeing in, in 2020? What's next? I think you'll see us placing an increased emphasis on food security. I think this this concern that the that the global community has now that the sort of related to the food systems, as I mentioned, and to this negative trend in terms of food insecurity, will be a little bit more central to the work that we do. Um, one of the things that we've learned in the past and that works very well is for whatever measures we put in place and we help countries put in place need to be bottom up. Um, so engaging even more with countries, more with communities, to really make sure that we're providing the tools, the resources that they need to take their development into their hands and design the life that they would like to have for themselves and their children. That was Lisa Leclerc talking to us about IFAD's Climate Action Report for 2019 which you can download at www.ifad.org forward slash knowledge. That brings this edition of Farms Food Future to a close. Thanks also to our producers, the fabulous Francesco Manetti and John Delice, and everyone who's worked on this programme. But most of all, thanks to you for listening to this episode of Farms Food Future, brought to you by the International Fund for Agricultural Development. You can find out more about any of these stories at www.ifad.org forward slash podcasts. And remember, we have content in French and Spanish too. We'll be back in January with news from young people ringing in the changes in agriculture across the globe. We'll also have news from MTV choreographer Sherry Silver and West African pop star Mr Easy, both of whom are working with IFAD to shine that light a little brighter on the initiative of young people in Africa in agriculture. And we'll be talking to IFAD's Oliver Page about the Latin America and Caribbean Advantage Report that looks at IFAD's work across gender, youth, indigenous peoples and nutrition issues in the context of the climate crisis. Plus, news of building solar cookers from leftover materials in your home and meat grown outside the animal. Intriguing. And once again, we'll be trying to be good for you, good for the planet and good for the farmers. Until then, from me, Brian Thompson and the team here at IFAD, thanks for listening. Thank you.